This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. I use DigitalOcean to host a side project, and I'm starting to move the hosting for my blog and this podcast off their current hosting solution to DigitalOcean. With a large selection of one-click apps, from the basics of the LAMP stack, to Ghost and WordPress for blogs, to pre-set up Docker host images, with droplets that can spin up in 55 seconds, the ability to manage SSH keys for remote access, and more, DigitalOcean makes it super easy to get your project up and running. With the ability to easily add team members, use their API to scale out your applications, and have droplets in data centers around the world, DigitalOcean is ready to take on your larger projects as well. Have a question on how to set something up with DigitalOcean? DigitalOcean has a strong community around creating documentation and tutorials as well to get you set up and running quickly. New users can get up and running on DigitalOcean for free using promo code GEEKRY, all cap, to get $10 worth of credit when you get started. This episode is sponsored by PurelyFunctional.tv. Have you been thinking about learning Clojure but don't know where to start? Would you like a fun introduction that guides you through the difficulties of learning new concepts? Would you like to learn the fundamentals without spending hours wading through blog post tutorials? Try the interactive courses at PurelyFunctional.tv. They teach you quickly and thoroughly using animations, exercises, and screencasts. The courses build good fundamentals and guide you to develop skills with the language and libraries. You can get a 25% discount by using the link purelyfunctional.tv slash geekery. Proctor here with some conference announcements before we get into today's episode. First, I want to let everyone know about CodeMesh. CodeMesh London is the European conference for alternative technologies and programming languages. It takes place on the 3rd and 4th of November, with the tutorial days preceding it on the 2nd of November, and CodeMesh brings together a wide range of alternative technologies and programming languages, and the wonderful, crazy people who use them to solve real-world problems in the software industry. Expect code-heavy talks from over 50 speakers, including Sir Tony Hoare, creator of the Quicksort algorithm, co-designer of Haskell, John Hughes, the co-inventors of Erlang, Joe Armstrong and Robert Ferding, Don Syme, creator of F-Sharp, co-inventor of Julia, Stefan Karpinski, Evan Zablicki, designer of Elm, core team members of the Hack and Rust languages, and many more. Use the code FNGeekery10 for a 10% discount on the two days of conference. Second, Chicago Erlang is also coming up on the 10th of October. The format of this year is a bit special. Instead of a conference, it will run as a one-day Erlang workshop in the heart of Chicago. It will have two tracks, Essentials, led by past guest Martin Logan, as well as Fred Herbert, and an IoT app build-out track, led by seasoned web-scale engineers Brian Troutwine and Garrett Smith. The goal of Chicago Erling is to keep it interesting and super affordable. Early bird registration is $49, and full price is $69. In addition to Chicago Erling, City Code will be taking place on the 9th of October, the day before. City Code Chicago is a one-day immersive technology conference for programmers to spark creativity and innovation that invites brilliant speakers from Chicago and around the U.S. to share important ideas and let those flame into deeper exchange with you involved in the discussion. This year, City Code Chicago will be at the world-famous Second City Theater. This small venue, designed for improv theater, brings speaker and audience together. There's one track, so everyone shares and contributes to the same experience. Join them Friday, October 9th, 2015, to feed and invigorate your inner geek. Also, ElixirConf 2015 is coming up on the 2nd and 3rd of October, with a day of workshops the day before on the 1st of October, down in Austin, Texas. 
You can still register for the two-day, two-track conference or add the optional one day of training on October 1st as well, but hurry, some training classes are already filling up. Breakfast, lunch, and Wi-Fi are provided at the conference. Over 28 speakers and 200 attendees will be at the conference, and keynote speakers include past guests of the podcast, Jose Valine and Jessica Kerr. Don't miss this opportunity. To find out more and to register, visit www.elixirconf.com. And if you know of any other conferences around functional programming, please email contact at functionalgeekery.com and I will be happy to announce them. Lastly, if you are enjoying Functional Geekery, please help spread the word. If you would leave a rating or review on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory, or even share your favorite episodes on social media, I need your help to help spread the word about Functional Geekery. And if there are any guests or topics that you want to hear about, please reach out and I'll put them on my notes for future episode ideas. Thank you for listening and for all your support. Welcome to Functional Geekery. I'm your host, Proctor, and this week with us we have Phil Freeman. Phil, would you mind telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks very much for having me on the show. I'm the author of the PureScript compiler. I've been programming for about seven years now. I started with very um, imperative languages, started with Java, moved on to C Sharp for a couple of years. And while I was doing that sort of, I started reading into sort of ideas of correctness, how, you know, best practices around Java, C Sharp, that kind of thing. And after a couple of years, I had a recommendation from a friend who said, uh, you know, if you're interested in these things and you know, how do you uh, structure uh, your program so that you know they're correct, uh, maybe you'd be interested in looking into Haskell. So I, I sort of spent a little bit of my spare time looking into Haskell, just sort of toying around writing small programs. My background was in maths, so I was a sort of natural fit. There's lots of sort of interest there for me, lots of avenues to explore. But I didn't really start any major projects. My, my first sort of major project was, uh, was actually the PureScript compiler. Uh, nowadays, I'm uh, working mostly in Scala and TypeScript, a little bit of Haskell in production at my current company. Uh, the company I'm working at is a uh, medical imaging company called Dicom Grid, based out of Arizona. So that was actually sort of the main motivation for, for starting the PureScript compiler. I'd been working uh, on a, a sort of medium-sized TypeScript application and was sort of found myself needing a little bit more from the language, from the type system, that sort of thing. And that was sort of the, the sort of beginning of the PureScript compiler. And so you started doing a little Haskell, and that's what planted the seed of idea of bring the power of PureScript to, to the front-end development? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, like I say, I hadn't really done any large projects in Haskell at that point. Lots of sort of toy projects, sort of single-file projects, just kind of experimenting with ideas. Then when I went to work at Dicom Grid and started working on this TypeScript application, um, I started seeing lots of these places where you know, I'd seen ideas like monads and applicatives and functors and monoids and, and all these sort of ideas for structuring programs and, and could sort of see all these places where I was using them, but I wasn't sort of getting the benefit of the type system to help me out with these things. So I wanted a language with sort of lightweight syntax and, and Haskell-like type system uh, to be able to express these ideas precisely. And, and that's how, yeah, exactly. That's how PureScript got started. So that kind of answered the why PureScript. And so it was those deeper higher level mathematical abstractions that was missing from TypeScript. And that's really what got you that it didn't really come in through just being fed up with having to do regular JavaScript or dynamic languages, any of the other dynamic languages on there. It was you already working in a type system and felt you needed more power from it. Yeah, I had a type system. Uh, TypeScript, I generally recommend, I think is a great language. I very much enjoy using it. But there were one or two things, like I already mentioned the type classes. That was definitely a part of the motivation. 
But mostly the, the thing that I wanted was the ability to use, you know, just simple things like, you know, these very simple techniques, but that are very powerful, like just having some types or an understand TypeScript now has union types. So uh, that sort of makes up for it, but it's not exactly the same. Simple things like some types and this idea of um, instead of using strings everywhere, you want to use new types around strings so that you can discern different types of strings in your type system. Just very basic ideas that weren't available to me in TypeScript. And my original plan was basically to use TypeScript for the sort of 95% use case in my application and then use PureScript as a kind of glue language on top, where, just where I needed these things like some types and type classes just to be a little more expressive. And the first version of PureScript, that was exactly how I was using it I, in you know, a small part of a larger TypeScript application. So like I say, initially the plan was just to have it as sort of a glue language to express these ideas, but it sort of, it took off quite quickly after I sort of made version one, put it on Reddit and sort of contributors started saying things like, you know, I'd, I'd find myself needing exactly the same sort of set of features and people started contributing quickly and it, it grew from there. It seems pretty full on fleshed out, at least from what little I had seen of it, because it seemed to grow pretty quickly and expand into a nice stable platform in a relatively short, short amount of time, correct? Yeah, there's there's been a lot of help. I mean, I think we have something on the order of about 60 contributors now, some of them directly working on the compiler, and actually a lot more than that working on libraries. But even like things like documentation, yeah, the, the libraries are, you know, comparatively well documented compared to some other similar projects, I would say. So yeah, it's, it's been like sort of a really massive collective effort to try and sort of get the presentation of the language up to par. And I think it's, it's done quite well. So when did this all start? How long ago? So I started working on the compiler itself, rough, I think sort of middle of 2013. I released the first version at the end, towards the end of that year. Basically, I had sort of bits and pieces of compiler-like things sitting around in various folders, so like a, a sort of prototype type checker and, you know, parsers that I'd written for various various languages in, in Haskell and uh, tried to sort of cobble it together into like a, a sort of proof of concept of a compiler. So that was the first version. It was very, very, very rough around the edges. And like I said, I posted it to Reddit and got lots of help. So it's a lot better now. And that's one of the reasons I was wondering, because I'm like, TypeScript is a number of years old, but it's still relatively young. So it was like, just based off TypeScript alone, it's got to be pretty recent. Because I managed to go to LambdaConf and hit the PureScript Conf for part of the day, the day before, and was really impressed with how well and mature this seems to have come along and what seemed like a pretty short amount of time. Yeah, I've, I've been sort of really pleasantly surprised constantly, actually, since the project first started. It's sort of like acceleration you can get out of an open source initiative like that. It's, it's been really impressive. Like the, the sort of libraries people have been creating, yeah, the documentation, tooling around various editors, this kind of thing. Slam Data, for example, is an open source company using PureScript for their entire front end. Like I, I never would have imagined those things would have happened. It has gone, it's gone very quickly. And just going back to a little bit of the difference between the PureScript and the TypeScript, you mentioned things like some types and some of those other features that you haven't. Can you kind of explain at a high level what the some type is for some of the listeners who may be more coming from a dynamic background or haven't dug in that deep with some of their Haskell and ML style languages that have these extra features of types? Sure. So I guess my background was like, say, things like Java and C Sharp. So Java and C Sharp developers are familiar with product types. They turn up in languages in the, in the form of sort of records with getters and setters. So maybe I have a, a person record that has getters and setters for a first name property, a last name property, and an age property. So that's, that's a type where in order to create one of these types, I have to have all of those three things. I have to have a first name, a last name, and an age. But with um, a some type, instead of having, having to have all of the three things available, you're only required to have one of a selection of things. 
So for example, with the sum type, you might create a sum type for something like shape, where you might only care about characterizing things like rectangles and circles, and maybe something like text if you were creating maybe like a vector graphic package and you want to capture one of these three types of shape. In that case, it's not required that you have to provide all of the characteristics of a rectangle and of a circle and of a piece of text. In order to create shape, you only have to provide the characteristics of one of those three. And that's what characterizes the sum type. So it's these sorts of ideas where it's just sort of they're lightweight ideas and, and very expressive and allow you to do a lot with, with relatively little code. And those are the sorts of things that I wanted available. So that's kind of like the vehicle, which is a car, a motorcycle, an airplane, and a boat. Right. Yeah. You can kind of say, well, it's like, well, I have wheels, but the boat doesn't really have wheels. The airplane has wheels, but, but we don't really use it. And, and in imperative languages, you sort of end up implementing these things with some type, uh, sorry, subtypes, and it gets a little bit tricky and you know, you have to ask yourselves, is there really sort of an is-a relationship here? With some types, it's, it's much simpler, of course. You just enumerate the various ways in which I can construct this thing, and those are the only ways in which it can be constructed from then on. With the pure script stuff as well, is when you built on it, my understanding is that it's all directly down into JavaScript too, right? You don't have an intermediary language that you're kind of running and using as a mid-level language, you've kind of got it going all the way down into raw JavaScript, right? Right. So in the first version of the compiler, exactly, the, the code generator was very shallow. It took the AST for PureScript expressions and just translated them very simply into JavaScript. And it was essentially just a syntactic change. No sort of deep transformations whatsoever. Now in the latest version of the compiler, we do have various phases separated out. So we do have intermediate representations, but right now they're not exposed to the developer. So we have what we call a functional core, which keeps enough of the ideas of the AST and sort of the functional style of PureScript that we can do the transformations that we need to do, but it doesn't need all of the information that was in the original syntax. And we're actually thinking of adding an imperative core, which sort of performs the same role for the JavaScript AST. It basically just acts as the, the parts of the JavaScript AST that we need without actually being full JavaScript itself. And we sort of slowly make our way from PureScript syntax down to all JavaScript this way through these phases. So the, the nice thing about having separating out the phases and having these different intermediate languages is that as we try to support different backends, we can try and sort of pull out the abstractions that various languages have in common. So for things like JavaScript, where you want to be able to use the features of the host language like for loops and while loops to generate efficient code, we can pull out an intermediate representation that actually allows you to use those sorts of things. But different backends can code gen that same AST in different ways. And one of the reasons I was thinking that was from what I have seen at that PureScript comp in 2015 is where we're recording this now, was there was a number of examples where you had great JavaScript interop. And if you need to dig down into JavaScript, the interop story was very nice versus having this weird normal FFI foreign function interface wrapper kind of thing that you got to cut out and you only get half the power of JavaScript. Right. You've got a full on pretty good interop story for using other JavaScript features, right? Yeah, so the FFI has been around since the very first version of the, the compiler. It's always been sort of a key feature. And I think, uh, you know, this wasn't sort of my goal in, at the start, but going forward, I think if you want to sort of become a successful Alt.js language, it's absolutely critical that you have a good foreign interrupt story with JavaScript. So since the very first release of the compiler, there were, there were two things that I wanted the foreign function interface to be used. I wanted it to be very easy to be used. Like a beginner should be able to come along and, and wrap an existing JavaScript library very easily. And I think of things like TypeScript. And if you're familiar with TypeScript and you've seen their uh, definition files, .d.ts files, um, I think that's a really good example. Very easy to get off the ground with TypeScript and, and write, a, write a definition file. 
And you see these repositories like definitely typed where there's sort of hundreds of existing JavaScript libraries that are just seamlessly operate in this way with, with TypeScript. You know, I think that's why TypeScript has grown so quickly as well. So that was the first point. I need it to be very easy to be able to interrupt with, with JavaScript and PureScript. But the other part is it sort of can't be too easy in a way. You want it to be very principled, right? So having a principled approach to interrupt is the other part of it. And in PureScript, if you have a look at the book, it sort of goes into quite a lot of detail in the foreign function interface chapter about this. But there's this idea that for every type that you write down in PureScript, you should be able to look at it and, and immediately just, there should be some interpretation of, of the sort of valid JavaScript expressions that would inhabit that type by the foreign function interface and the other way. So I should be able to look at a piece of JavaScript and hopefully there's a foreign type somewhere in the standard libraries of PureScript that allows you to attach a type to that piece of JavaScript code and just start operating with, but in a principled way. So yeah, those are the, sort of the two key parts for me. Yeah, I remember seeing some of the demos and they showed some of that stuff. And I think it might have even been you that was showing some of the kind of the IO stuff. It's like, okay, but there are cases where you don't have everything in or you got to interact with this other JavaScript library that you need to interact in. And it looked like it was all things considered relatively straightforward to consume and pass data between the two instead of saying, well, you got to be strict about your usage, but you don't actually have to jump through tens of Right. 20, 20, 10 or 20 or 30 loops to get something done. Yeah. One of the benefits of having an evaluation model, I guess, like, you know, we, we use strict evaluation in PureScript. So we translate to very simple JavaScript. And it's one of the benefits of that. Strict evaluation when you're working in a Haskell like language comes with costs. But one of the really, really great benefits is sort of seamless interop with JavaScript. Because that's one of the other things that's looking at a language is from adoption perspective is, and having looked a little bit at TypeScript was, the story of slowly moving into TypeScript was you can take your JavaScript files mm-hmm. and just change the extension and ta-da, now you got TypeScript. And it is just JavaScript and yeah. some more stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. And it looked like, well, PureScript wasn't quite that simple. It looked like it was still pretty segregated off where it's like, look, if you want to move it, we've got a good story of interop. So the parts that you're ready to move to PureScript, you can move that easily without having to worry about a whole bunch of other things breaking on you. Yeah, there's definitely sort of a small price to pay to turn JavaScript into valid typed PureScript code, but hopefully it's not too much of a cost. The nice thing, I think, especially, you know, you have this expressive type system to work with. The nice thing is that you can start at a very low level and this applies to Haskell too, right? So um, you can start at a very low level and use things like F is one of our sort of like very low level tools in, in PureScript. You can start with things like that and then build up using all these sort of control abstractions and, and various abstractions that we have and turn them into very high level APIs. So you, you sort of run all the way from sort of the very low level all the way up to the very high level. But hopefully, you know, at the low level, it's very easy to sort of express this stuff still. And I was thinking just even it's like, oh, here's the perfect problem where PureScript would fit in in this JavaScript right. application. The interop is like, I can go write this separate library function kind of thing and then consume it back and forth easily and get all my type safety and purity in there as well, right? Right. Yeah. And like I said, that was sort of my initial use case when I first started working on the compiler was exactly that. The library I really wanted to interoperate with was uh, underscore JS. PureScript didn't have an arrays library back then, didn't have any collections libraries. It basically had an FFI, a prelude, and that was it. So I had a few sum types for a DSL I wanted to express, and I wanted to use underscore to sort of glue all this stuff together and do various transformations and things. And that was my application. It's still very good at that stuff, but you can kind of do more now. Obviously, you know, there's, you can use PureScript like a Haskell if you like, but the low level use case is still available if people want to use that. And when you say use it like a Haskell, that's one of the other things I'd seemed to notice was PureScript is essentially a pure functional language and tries to stay as pure as possible, correct? Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely pure functional. 
one of the sort of usual confusions, I guess, when people come to PureScript, especially from Haskell, is that people do seem to think of it as a Haskell for the web. Like GHCJS is, is a Haskell that compiles to JavaScript, right? It keeps the semantics of Haskell. It's a fantastic project. You can pull sort of almost anything off Hackage, which is Haskell's package repository, and pretty much anything will just compile with GACGS. But PureScript sits in kind of a, a very different part of the space, right? PureScript, I, I always thought of as coming from more like the coffee scripts and live scripts of the world, where it's a better JavaScript, it's not a Haskell for the web. Haskell for the web is a great approach, but the approach I wanted was simple interrupt with JavaScript and building up essentially uh, on top of the JavaScript uh, ecosystem. But PureScript does look a lot like Haskell, of course. You know, the, uh, the type system looks a lot like Haskell. A lot of our libraries are influenced by Haskell. The syntax looks like Haskell. But I think it's a mistake to sort of think of it as writing in Haskell, but you're compiling to JavaScript because you're going to run into problems like stack overflow. The evaluation model is going to get in your way. Uh, strictness will become a problem, all these kinds of things. It's always good to have in the back of your mind that you're actually writing JavaScript. Yeah, it seemed coming in just looking at it without having a whole bunch of background in either Haskell or PureScript when I went watched all those presentations at the conference, it did look like it was kind of a Haskell for the way. It's like, you like Haskell, you want this, you don't necessarily, you want to be able to have all this power and everything else. This is the best chance you get for actually having that in the web. Again, not knowing about GHC, JS, but because this is a different platform, there are different behaviors, which a number of presenters had called out. It's like, this doesn't quite work the same way as in Haskell, but this is really where the inspiration is. We actually have a page on our wiki on the on the PureScript.org domain uh, that basically called Differences from Haskell. That we point all the Haskellers at when they say, oh, this, this language looks a lot like Haskell. I think I'd enjoy using it. Um, so we should check out all these differences because there's quite a few. But, you know, it's really tempting. As soon as you can sort of start expressing abstractions like Monad, Functor, Applicative, etc., you want to use them all over the place and you have this expressive power. Haskell gives you a really nice high level of abstraction where you don't have to think about the evaluation model. You don't have that benefit in PureScript. You have to think about the evaluation model because as soon as you start sort of using monads all over the place, you can do it. You, you have to do it safely. As soon as you start using those all over the place in a naive way, you start running into stack overflows and issues like that. So you, you, like I say, you always have to have it in the back of your mind that really you're writing JavaScript. You just have these other tools at your disposal. One of your little mini presentations was showing how you're modifying state of a web page and controls just by passing them on through other transformations and applications and various monadic operations, I guess, or functors or applicables or whatever term is the right term to use. That was the Halogen library. That's a library that Slam Data, this company I mentioned earlier, they're using this library Halogen for their entire front end. So the ideas underlying Halogen come from a couple of areas. If you're familiar with, well, there's a library, first of all, called Virtual DOM, which is sort of like a, a little bit like React, but a cut down version of React. Um, and, and those two libraries have sort of made popular this idea that you can um, write your UI as a pure function of application states, create a function from application state to some abstract representation of the DOM. Um, and in doing that, you're sort of abstracting over the actual operational part of taking that DOM representation and going and sticking it on the screen. If you do it naively, of course, and just update everything, it's going to be very slow. But React and Virtual DOM have this nice diffing approach, which allows you to just take this very high-level approach, write a pure function, and they will turn it into the minimal set of updates by diffing the two DOM representations. So that's one of the libraries. The Virtual DOM is one of the libraries underlying Halogen. And as well, I should mention another programming language called Elm, which has made these ideas popular. So there's a library for Elm called Elm HTML, 
which also I believe is based on virtual DOM and sort of takes us a similar idea where we're using, uh, you know, this idea of expressing our application as a pure function naturally goes well with pure functional languages. So those two Elm HTML are a really nice combination. In Halogen, the nice thing is that we can sort of abstract further and we have more control control mechanisms in PureScript that we can use. And one of the sort of key abstractions that we ended up using in Halogen was something called signal functions. So FRP, uh, functional reactive programming, is becoming popular lately and like reactive programming and these kinds of things. Elm in particular has been making functional reactive programming very popular. The approach in Halogen is not quite FRP. It looks a lot like FRP, more like state machines actually, but uh, signal functions basically allow us to deal with what are essentially state machines at a very high level of abstraction. And this is where I think some of the strengths of PureScript really come into play, the fact that we have type classes to be able to reason about things like arrows and profunctors and categories and all these kinds of high-level concepts that are used in Halogen. Yeah, it's one of those things that it looked vaguely familiar from the outside in, being not super familiar with exactly how applicable and functor and monads and what each one represents, even though I've seen explanations a number of times, it still hasn't quite logged, but essentially you were able to kind of build in and encapsulate pipeline and composition of these other functions and take something that transforms it, transforms it, and then splits it out, kind of a state machine, and you're able to run through the whole state machine at any time and pick out whichever state works, almost as in you're building a non-deterministic finite state machine right? that results in something at the end, but whichever path that goes through, it goes through. A lot of these type classes look a little bit opaque when you first come to them. I mean, I... Honestly, I had very little idea what a profunctor was before I started working on Halogen. But once you sort of get one concrete example in, in your mind, I think it really helps. And as with any of these sorts of abstractions, you're really just talking about composition in some sense. And, you know, you have some small building blocks and you want to build them up into a larger piece. So the abstractions in PureScripts do allow us to build those things up and they just allow us to build them up in, in various different ways. And that's, that was sort of the approach that we took in Halogen. It's a nice approach because it allows us to talk at high level using these concepts abstractly, reason about them abstractly, this sort of thing. So in Halogen, I've heard a little bit about Ohm and David Nolan talking about Ohm when he was talking about that enclosure script with using React under the covers and how they're able to get even better performance because they know what's changed because in React, everything's mutable, but in Ohm, everything's immutable. Do you get that benefit kind of as well with having immutable data structures and everything in PureScript and being able to take advantage of that with the virtual DOM library as well, where you can kind of say, we know only really this part of that DOM changed in that virtual DOM because it's all the same thing. So it's not something I've really thought about too much, to be quite honest. But I mean, in theory, yes, everything is immutable and pure in Halogen usually. So the same optimizations should be applicable. I think virtual DOM provides a mechanism whereby you can provide a hint to the renderer whether or not some piece of data has changed and thereby sort of bypass doing a diff of an entire subtree. So with immutability of data, obviously, that becomes a lot easier because the data doesn't change. It's immutable. Um, so hopefully, you know, that sort of optimization should be applicable. Honestly, like I say, I haven't really looked into it. But. Yeah, just you were talking about some of that virtual DOM and everything, and it seemed like with what PureScript provides, it seems like those advantages would kind of follow along the same lines whether or not it was done yet or not right there's another sort of like class of another type of approach to rendering the dom that i'm actually kind of interested in i'd I'd really love to spend a little time maybe as a compliment to halogen or or maybe as a fork of halogen or something like that but the idea i forget it's not related to incremental computation but i forget the name the idea is that instead of creating the entire dom and diffing these two giant DOM trees and finding all the diffs and putting them on the screen, you sort of try and track as you go along. 
So as you sort of compose these web pages, you're composing ways to build up these lists, but you know exactly where the changes go. You don't have to do a diff. And then when you know where all the changes have to be made, you go and make them. Um, I think you can get some nice performance improvements that way. And I think it could be another nice application of purity. Depending on your viewpoint, the nice thing about PureScript or the frustrating thing about PureScript is that we don't have a solidified DOM story yet. So Halogen is probably the favorite contender for the DOM library of the future for PureScript. But we have the flexibility to choose one of a lot of different approaches and, and try a few different things out. So there's a few different approaches I'm interested to try still. So we kind of talked about its heritage in regards to TypeScript and some of the problems it was trying to solve. And you kind of talked about Elm too. So how do you see PureScript versus Elm treating their view of the world aside from just the type system that you get in PureScript on top of it? Is it kind of a similar philosophy on things with things like the signals and reactive FRP that Elm is pushing for that with the halogen library or... So someone's looking at some of these languages and saying, there's some problems with JavaScript that I have just when it gets into large scale, but I've got these things on my radar. How would you kind of classify PureScript against, say, ClojureScript or Elm as well, since you kind of talked about TypeScript? Yeah, sure. So I should qualify this by saying I've looked at Elm, but I haven't used it for a very long time since a much earlier version. So I might not be the best person to ask about this, but I can sort of give my opinion. The last time I had used Elm, one of the major differences, other than sort of type system differences and these kinds of things, I think from a language perspective, give or take a few features, they're actually quite similar languages. It seems to be in the libraries and the, and the sort of viewpoints. Elm takes a sort of similar approach in that, you know, we're applying techniques of, of pure functional programming and uh, immutability is good and composition is good and, and all these sorts of various ideas. I think Elm initially had a, a focus on functional reactive programming and sort of bringing that to the browser and the idea that signals were a great abstraction for a, a great many things that you wanted to do in the browser. I think Elm's a fantastic project. It's sort of a really excellent language for learning. It's a really excellent language for uh, JavaScripters who want to take the first steps into pure functional programming and they can be sort of very effective and get things done very quickly. The differences are mostly in the libraries and how we structure the libraries, I think, at this point, and sort of the general sort of philosophy of how you design a pure functional language for the web. Some of it, just for clarification of the question, was just more about if someone's looking at it. I'm sure you looked at it originally as well to say, hey, what's out there? What fits in with what I'm trying to solve? Because if you're coming with PureScript, odds are, I'm guessing you probably didn't want to necessarily have to reinvent a whole language if there was already something out there for you, right? Right. What was some of the stuff you saw in those languages that you felt either inspiration or need from? Yeah, there, there were a few languages around at the time, none of which fitted exactly my use case. So as I mentioned, I was working on this TypeScript application. One of my biggest constraints was that I needed a language that compiled to very readable JavaScript and minimal JavaScript. So no runtime, ideally, and a very shallow transformation from the original AST down to the JavaScript that's generated from it. So GHCGS, you know, as, as a Haskeller was very appealing, but it sort of failed the readable generated code test. I couldn't sort of take that code and hand that code off to one of the JavaScript programmers on my team and expect him to debug it, right? But if I had a team of Haskellers, it would have been a great option. Similarly, Elm, while I believe the Elm generated code is actually quite straightforward, it does come with a quite sizable runtime and a, a bunch of standard libraries. And I couldn't pay the price of having the entire standard library of Elm baked into my application. Plus... I think when you're working with Elm, you, like I say, it at least used to, this may not be the case, I, I honestly don't know, but it used to take this functional reactive programming model very seriously and everything, when you, when you compiled your application, everything was sort of packaged up. You sort of built an Elm application, you got a blob of uh, JavaScript, HTML and CSS, and you dropped it into your page somewhere. 
Whereas I need a sort of two-way seamless interrupt with JavaScript and easier way to interrupt with the, the components on the page um, and just sort of use PureScript as a library to build like lightweight libraries and this kind of thing. So Elm didn't really fit my criteria there. I know that nowadays they have the Elm ports library, which I think simplifies some of the FFI quite a lot. It's quite appealing. But the, you know, the, the large runtime that came with Elm wasn't really a fit. Some of the other languages that I'd looked at, Roy was probably the, the closest to what I was actually looking for. Roy was a, a language by Brian McKenna, very similar to PureScript, actually, a little simpler in the type system. And I very strongly considered using Roy. It's a really nice language, very simple. But the, I had some sort of minor complaints with how the, uh, the FFI works at the time. It's just more about trying to get some people who are listening that say, hey, yeah, this is it, but how does this fit into where... Like, I've got ClojureScript, I've got PureScript, I've got TypeScript, I've got Elm, I've got some of these other variations that I might be looking at, and just some of the trade-offs from you when you were looking at it of what drove you to pick PureScript and the motivation. Yeah. And you mentioned Brian McKenna and Roy. He's pretty heavily involved in the PureScript community now as well, right? Yeah, definitely. So Brian does a lot of, uh, he speaks a lot about PureScript in, in public, and he was working with PureScript professionally for a while with Slam Data, writing a lot of great libraries. I believe he's talking at CUFP this year, um, giving a workshop on PureScript, which is, which is very exciting. Yeah, he's been very involved. So great to have him involved. Yeah, because I talked to him a little bit at the Lambda Conf as right. part of the mini interview, and he was t- doing that. And then I kind of heard about Roy in a couple different places, but I didn't realize that it was actually a web thing. So it seems like he kind of got, garnered some steam that he kind of folded in at least some of his effort into PureScript as well. So, Yeah, Roy was uh, was sort of a big influence. I saw uh, Brian's talk at Strange Loop a couple of years ago. They had a, a emerging languages camp for the first year, that year, I think. People showing off sort of little languages and their projects and sorts of those sorts of things. And uh, Roy was shown there and that sort of really made me think, oh, you know, this sort of Alt.js thing is probably what I'm looking for and, and got me thinking seriously about it. So we've mentioned it a number of times is Lambda Conf this past 2015 and the PureScript Conf beforehand. Right. How did that kind of come about? I know John DeGose, who organized Lambda Conf as part of the Slam Data company that you've mentioned a couple of times that used PureScript. And he's talked about how we made this investment and <laughs> yeah. we need to make sure to build a community. But how did that, from your side, how did that kind of help come along and garner seem to put on this small mini one-day conference around another conference. Yeah. So the Lambda Conf before this one, 2014, was much smaller than the one this year. It's sort of more like a local event. And John was, uh, I think, just sort of starting to get into PureScript at the time and was interested in it and asked me to come and give a talk. And that was pretty much the first time I'd spoken at an event about PureScript. And uh, then the year after, by that point, Slam Data was taking it very seriously and uh, using it for their entire front end and asked me to come back and, and give another talk about sort of the progress in the language and, and talk about some of the libraries and that kind of thing. And we were talking on IRC and the idea came up of maybe having a PureScript conference that year as well and co-locating it with, with LambdaConf. And I think we expected it to be very small and I mean, it obviously wasn't massive. It's like 50 people I think showed up, but that was way more than I would have expected a local event. So yeah, it was a really great conference. We had some nice talks and uh, I'm really hoping we can do it again this year. I know John's been discussing the idea of co-locating a few mini language specific conferences at at LambdaConf 2016, so that's pretty exciting. I don't know how many people you got to talk to around the mini-conf for PureScript, but did you have a lot of people come up and talk to you about PureScript? Know that, oh, these are new people versus these are people? Because it seems pretty split that 
you had some of the people there piping in about other experiences as well when someone had a question. Did you notice a lot of people coming in and that was their first exposure to PureScript as well? Yeah, I think the usual reaction is, what's this PureScript thing sort of seeing on the schedule? But yeah, you know, a couple of people came up to me at Lambda Conf and said, uh, you know, I've used PureScripts, I like it or I don't like it or whatever. But yeah, I think for the most part, it's sort of very new and people are just sort of starting to hear the name and kind of the unknown language on the schedule at the moment, but hopefully next year, less so. I don't know, we'll see. This is getting back to that community growth and everything was kind of hearing the name, but not really registering the name with what it was at the time. And then looking it up right before the conference and so it's going to get in the day early. I was like, oh, okay, this is that thing. Now the names go together. And then when I went there, I was really shocked at how mature it seemed coming in because you've got a lot of tooling around there and libraries and utilities that were coming through and seemed fairly fleshed out. There's even a property-based testing framework and tooling test suite. Right. Yeah. Like a quick check port. Yeah. Yeah. There's already been that ported to PureScript and it seems to have gone. Yeah. We have quite a lot of libraries at the, at the moment. I think last time I looked at the count on GitHub, it was uh, something like 600. And I mean, obviously, like a large part of those are empty repositories that people have created. But even if it's half of that, I think that's that's pretty excellent for, uh, you know, two and a half years of work. There's sort of lots of interesting things going on. And as I say, it's a sort of collective effort, these, this effort with documenting the language and presenting it nicely to, to newcomers and all this kind of thing. There's been a lot of work done. It's, I think it's worked out quite nicely. Is that something that just, it was, you think it just, like it filled the niche for Haskellers. You're like, I want something to be able to do this on the web. And then they're taking all that stuff, they're like mistooling and just a strong proponent there. Or is there something else that you think has helped push along this community growth to make it so vibrant as far as the things that are out there now there's obviously various uh things that have accelerated the growth like like i say slam data has been very vocal about their involvement and, and um publicizing PureScript quite a lot and writing really excellent libraries uh, for PureScripts. then PureScript conf as well so a lot of people heard about PureScript that way and various other conferences and things generally though i think people come to PureScripts having heard of it for probably the same reason that i wrote it in the first place which is that there's a slight gap there in sort of language space and People who already were familiar with these various ideas from Haskell and, and wanted to be able to express them and structure their programs in this way uh, on the web is sort of a natural fit. And I like to think that a lot of people come to PureScript that way. Hopefully, though, people might start to come to PureScript just without those goals in mind and just see that it, in its own right is a, is a nice way to structure programs. So I'm, I'm hoping that sort of going forward, we can reach more JavaScript developers who maybe don't have exposure to these ideas um, and find better ways to document them. It's, it's sort of a tricky it's sort of a hard problem in like how to teach people these ideas and I find it quite difficult. You know, I, I wrote the, the PureScript book last year and I really wanted it to appeal to JavaScript programmers who didn't have familiarity with these pure functional programming ideas. It's really a tricky problem to sort of learn how to teach that stuff. You're starting to touch on my next question I was going to be asking for you is how do you help someone who's unfamiliar with these ideas and what's the best way for them to get a hold of these concepts and understandings? Because there's this myth about Haskell that all these type systems are complex and take a lot of mathematical understanding and take a lot of research to go into. And from what I've seen in TypeScript, you borrow that kind of type system heritage, whether, and again, MLs have the same kind of mythos to some extent. So if someone's interested in say, hey, I want to look at this, what are some of the best ways for them to come up and start getting interested and finding out more and starting to rock some of these ideas and premises behind the language? Sure. I think the key for me, at least, is 
I think it depends quite a lot on on how you like to learn, but I think a lot of people like to learn by doing and by example. So the nice thing about JavaScript is there's lots of, you know, working with the JavaScript ecosystem is there's lots of applications that you can take from existing libraries and, and sort of wrap them up with the FFI. And again, it goes back to this, this idea that's very powerful to have a simple FFI and just get going and do something very practical very quickly. And I think to a certain extent, you know, Haskell has this problem where he said, you know, people come to Haskell and, and you know, they think it's difficult. But I, th- I think to a certain extent, the Haskell community, we, we don't help ourselves. We write examples like, look at this cool thing you can do with category theory. That's great. But a beginner wants to sort of like get started with something with something practical. We need more examples like that. So I mentioned the book already. I, you know, the, the approach I took when I was writing the book, the book's called Pure Script by Example. Each chapter, you try and actually solve a problem, sort of a real world problem in, in JavaScript. So things like rendering canvas graphics or solving callback hell, like avoiding callbacks in Node or uh, practical testing. You mentioned the QuickCheck library. One of the chapters talks about that. So really doing practical things. And uh, I think that's sort of the key to sort of get people on board. Hopefully we can sort of start taking that a bit more seriously and reach out a little bit more to some more JavaScript developers. For anybody who's interested or listening to PureScript, is there anything that's kind of a call for helping to introduce PureScript to people who might be on the fence about that? Besides from the examples of getting stuff done in the real world, do you have any ideas of how people can kind of make that their own or help you build that getting started resources? Definitely, yeah. So there's been a page on our wiki for for a while now, which is uh, sort of project suggestions. So a lot of people come to PureScript but don't necessarily, they, they see it and sort of think, this is the sort of language I, I think I would enjoy working in, but don't necessarily have an application. I can't use it at work right now, or I just can't think of anything to do. So the, there's a project suggestions page and it has a bunch of, uh, there's, there's quite a few FFI libraries there, the existing node libraries or, or JavaScript libraries for the browser that we don't have FFI wrappers to that would be really valuable. For example, that'd be a great place to start if people are interested in contributing and sort of building up that library of material. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to myself sort of try and start focusing on writing blog posts and articles and all these kinds of things like getting started material for, for beginners as well over the next year, I think. And how much of those... JavaScript wrappers could be started by someone who's kind of coming into PureScript and learning. Is that something that you could take, as you said, your very basic type system of a very simple migration and not raise up the abstraction level too high and right. get that done and get that in and then kind of get some feedback from the community with that as it builds? Yeah, we have quite a lot of libraries that are exactly like that, actually, where people have come from JavaScript and, and they have existing tools that they know they want to use, but we don't have a wrapper for them. Maybe it's a testing tool or maybe it's a, a HTML5 API that we just haven't wrapped yet. And they've gone and written low-level wrappers to them. And they're incredibly valuable, right? Because then we can choose to build abstractions on top of those or not. But we definitely need the low-level bindings. It's definitely possible. Yeah, it's, uh, hopefully we can start to, to work some more on, on that. Part of it is, as you said, finding those ideas of projects to work on, but then it's like, well, I just did this toy project that's throwaway. Right. Is there also the, here's something that I can do that actually provides feedback and I can share and other people would give constructive feedback versus me just doing something that I can do it all day long without knowing what mistakes I'm making. I can't improve kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. There's actually two Git, GitHub organizations for PureScript. The main one, which has the compiler in all our core libraries, is uh, GitHub slash PureScript. That one tends to move quite slowly. We, we're very careful about what gets merged into there. But there's another organization called PureScript Contrib, sort of for contributors. And that has probably, I think, 10 or 12 or something like that libraries in there that you would sort of use for everyday projects. So there's a React binding in there, for example. And those projects sort of encourage that people would come along and send small pull requests and 
and it's sort of much moves more quickly and accepts a lot more pull requests that kind of thing and there's always people around on uh, on irc on the peer script channel to sort of like help out if people decide they want to help out with these things that kind of thing so looking a little bit towards the future of peer script I think John had mentioned that he's wanting a PureScript conf in 2016 to go with Lambda conf 2016. So it sounds like he's unofficially committing to putting on another Lambda conf and PureScript conf. So between now and then, we'll start with the now and then. Between now and then, what are the things that you would see presented as new in PureScript since Lambda conf that just ended in May? And then we can go deeper into what goes on after. But for the short term, Here's the here's the just under a year out plan. What does PureScript look like from your perspective? Sure. So in the very short term, we have the next milestone of the compiler, uh, standard libraries. We have two goals that aren't sort of very glamorous, but you know, sort of essential. Better error messages. The error messages in the compiler right now are pretty terrible, actually. But we really want to work on improving those. And the second one is performance. So the performance of the compiler has sort of been slowly creeping down, but it took a bit of a hit in the latest release. So we want to, for the next milestone, spend quite a lot of effort working on performance. There's uh, been some interesting work going on recently by the Haskell organization with the Google Summer of Code. We actually got two excellent students actually working on uh, the PureScript compiler over the summer full time. Those features that they added just got shipped with the latest release of the compiler that went out a couple of weeks ago. So those are uh, exhaustivity checking, which uh, is a tool to tell you whether your functions handle all the inputs that you might provide to them, and a package database, a searchable package database called Pursuit, which is available on the PureScript website for all our release packages. So those will sort of continue to work on both of those in the near future. But I'm also hoping that maybe we can try and the experience with GSOC generally was was really great, and I'm hoping that we can sort of find ways to get students involved more in the project. I think it's a really nice bit, and uh, I'd love to see more students get involved. So yeah, get in touch uh, if, uh, if anybody's interested in that. Longer term, one of the bigger projects is the ability to support multiple backends for code generation. JavaScript is the, the main supported backend for PureScript right now, obviously. But there are actually forks of PureScript that generate code for both Lua and uh, C++14. And there's, there's been a lot of people interested in various other things like Python, JVM, compilation, PHP, actually. So I'm hoping that over the next 12 months, we can get one or both of those uh, two forks integrated back into mainline. We made some changes recently to make that sort of thing easier. I mentioned these intermediate representations. Now that that's in place, hopefully we can support multiple backends much more easily. So by next year, hopefully those will be there. Is that going to be something that you're embracing the difference of the platforms in your view? Or is that going to be, this is pure script and it goes to that intermediate form and that intermediate form is really the least common denominator of the different platforms we're targeting? There's very little we assume in terms of features of the target language. Things like that every language has already, like strings and integers and characters and booleans and arrays oh, and, uh, and records. The tricky bit, obviously, is uh, the evaluation model, where you need to make sure that whatever you compile to, it works the same. If it does manage to evaluate in all of these, in, in two different environments, then you better get the same answer. So that's a little tricky, but we're sort of working on that. And part of that is the extraction of these intermediate representations and trying to sort of, yeah, uh, sort of extract out the least common denominator, like you said, of all the features that we need. So if I expect PureScript to run on JavaScript, the thought is that it's pretty much portable pretty directly to the C++ version or whatever version without much changes. Yeah, and that, that's like a really nice property to have, right? Because, for example, like another long-term goal that we had last year that didn't quite pan out was self-hosting compiler written in PureScript, compiling to JavaScript. 
which we actually finished, but was way too slow, like order, like several orders of magnitude worse than the Haskell implementation of the compiler. But I'm really interested to find out if we get the C++ 11 backend running and we just sort of feed the same code into it and we do have this nice property that they behave the same, then hopefully we can get a much faster implementation of a self-hosting compiler right that way. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. Maybe maybe it will work, maybe not, but it's it's interesting to think about whether we can make that work. Is there anything from languages that you've seen that probably wouldn't actually work for a port to PureScript? Things like what would PureScript require that a language or a language framework virtual machine require? Like I'm thinking things like PureScript has lazy evaluation. So it has lazy evaluation as a library. And I think this is the general answer is that for any given library, the types and the FFI declarations are going to act as a specification of whether or not that library is implementable in a particular target language. So hopefully something like lazy, right, would work in a lot of different target languages. You should be able to pick some implementation of lazy, a thunk type that would work. But then there's things for JavaScript. Um, there's FFI li- uh, libraries for JavaScript specifically that maybe it uses eval or something, right? And then that, that won't work in C++. I think we're pro- if we go this route, we're probably going to try and use the FFI as a sort of uh, specification language for whether or not a library can be implemented in a particular target backend. Some of that was thinking like having a .NET background. In the early days of .NET, trying to do something with lazy style generation was really a pain and a lot of overhead until they came through with the yield and delegate and stuff where you could actually now yield and give new blocks like you would do and say, okay, only generate this once it's actually needed and then I can continue on. And so I can create a giant infinite stream without actually having to evaluate everything forever. So it's like, yeah, things like async await in C sharp, you know, our promises in JavaScript, ES6, right? The same problem for us is is that you want to be able to target these features and take advantage of them during code gen, but they involve sort of like non-local reasoning about state, right? So it's it's hard to attach a particular meaning to what the promise type, or it's hard to write any functions, let's say, that that actually respect the invariance and, and don't let things leak, let variables leak and all these kinds of things. So it's, it's actually quite hard to target those in the FFI. Uh, we often end up um, writing our own uh, user land implementations of a lot of these things, um, which in the end actually turns out to be, you know, has its own benefits, right? Composition becomes nicer, we can use the abstractions that we already have, etc. So you mentioned milestones, and what's the rough frequency for someone who's listening as to what the milestones are? Do you have a pretty regular cadence that a milestone comes out here, or is it just kind of like we target the features, and whenever those features are ready, that becomes the milestone, or...? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very loose. Um, we don't really follow any specific methodology with the releases. Usually we, add, we try and identify one or two major features and then bugs will just get put in the patch releases every now and then. It would be nice if we had some sort of weekly or monthly release schedule. I'd like to work towards that, but the nature of having you know, a distributed open source set of contributors doesn't necessarily fit quite too well with that. So I don't know, I think we'll probably end up doing something close to what we've been doing so far which is just, you know, when a, a neat feature comes out, we'll cut a release and then occasionally we'll have planned releases for sort of very big changes. Like the, the release that just came out broke just about everything in every library that existed for CurseScript. So um, that was sort of like a special event and, you know, unlike the other releases. Generally, it's fairly incremental. And you get to call that a special event because you're one of the people who pushed it out, right? Everybody else gets to call it another term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So once you get past those milestones, what do you see coming up on the PureScript. Is there anything in the larger PureScript community that you've seen coming up on the radar that of the future? Do you see it? Is there a growth that's kind of been tracking that you're seeing? 
I think there's been a lot of really impressive work in in a lot of different areas. Like, like I said, I'm always impressed by the the libraries that I see popping up on GitHub on a regular basis. I think it's not a very interesting answer, unfortunately, but a, a lot of the same. And um, I hope a lot of the same happens over the next year, and and we continue to get a lot of great libraries. Another interesting thing I've been seeing recently is people start creating tools for PureScript and integrations with editors, this kind of stuff. So I'm hoping by next year, the editor slash tooling story for PureScript is going to be a lot better. Hopefully, sort of get some collective efforts started around standardizing some of the tools and that kind of thing. So kind of whatever editor, Sublime or Atom or... Yeah, exactly. Whatever editors you have, Vim or Emacs or whatever, you that getting started story with having nice feature functionality in those editors as well is... Yeah, so we have a nice foundation to build on there. There's a tool called Pulp, which is sort of our standard build tool by Bordle Stocky. That makes it very easy for beginners to get started. You can sort of initialize a project, compile the project, generate the documentation, run the tests, etc. And it's all very simple. And if you need to drop down to a lower level, then you know you can work with the compiler directly or you can use things like Gulp. But getting started is, is relatively easy. The integration with editors isn't quite there yet, but I think it could provide a nice foundation to work on. And I think we need to probably identify some sort of protocol. This came up on the issue tracker recently, the idea of identifying a protocol to talk, maybe it's a JSON protocol or something simple to talk with various editors in a sort of standardized way and get these nice features that Haskell has for various editors, like give me the type of the thing under the cursor or jump to the module that this thing is defined in, or go to the pursuit documentation for this module, that kind of thing. Yeah, hopefully over the next year, those, those things will become much better developed. We talked a bit, quite a bit about different variation aspects of PureScript. Is there anything that we didn't cover that's worth mentioning for anybody listening to know about? You kind of talked about the PureScript book, so it sounds like there's a couple of in the wiki page. So there's a couple of getting started if you're coming into PureScript resources. Is there anything else that we left out that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure people know about? Yeah, so I think that the book is well worth looking at to plug it myself. I think it's a nice introduction, both for people who are coming from the Haskell side and have seen a lot of these ideas before, but more for JavaScript developers who haven't necessarily seen a lot of these ideas before. I'm actually hoping over the next couple of months, maybe a little longer, don't hold me to a couple of months, but maybe to add a couple of chapters with some of the more interesting new stuff that's gone on since I wrote the original version. So hopefully I can continue to sort of expand these with some of the new ideas that come out of the libraries and the work that people are doing. Yeah, I think the people are interested in sort of getting started. It's a good place. There's also, like I say, IRC is a great place uh, to, to ask questions. We have a Google group and a Reddit channel and all these kinds of things. But I think IRC is probably the best place to ask questions. And if you're unsure or you know you have ideas for, for how you might use peer scripts, but you're not sure, then yeah, come visit IRC. There's a lot of people on there that are very knowledgeable, answer questions all the time, this kind of thing. Okay. Is there anything else you want people to know about outside of what we've talked about? Any upcoming talks or things you want to promote or anybody else's talks that you're trying to promote? Like you mentioned, Brian McKenna gave a talk at the CUFP. Is there anything else you want to like? Well, uh, no, the, I think the CUFP talk well, it hasn't happened yet. It's at this year's CUFP. So uh, if you go into ICFP or CUFP, I think definitely go to that. I'm not aware of any other talks coming up, but yeah, as I say, they tend to be well publicized on IRC and Reddit and all these kinds of things. No, nothing I can think of. Sorry. Okay. No, that's fine. This is your chance to make sure we didn't miss anything else. So where can people find you online? You mentioned PureScript for the IRC channel, and you mentioned talking about a PureScript book, but where can people find some you and some good PureScript resources? Yeah, so my Twitter slash GitHub slash everything else handle is PAF31, which is sort of an unfortunate name that I've had since forever. But you can find me on Twitter and ask questions and all that kind of stuff. 
And then any other good places for where to find what's going on? Is there a PureScript account on Twitter or is there anything else that people can follow for PureScript? You mentioned the Google group. Yeah, there's the standard sort of like set of things like Reddit slash PureScript. There's a Google group for PureScript, Stack Overflow channel. As I say, IRC is the best place if people are interested. I'd like to give a giant thank you to David Belcher for the logo. And once again, I'd like to thank Phil for giving us time to meet today. It was a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thank you very much. It has been great and informative and one more thing to put on the radar. And this helped give me some extra information about PureScript. So thanks for talking with me today. No problem. Thank you. Until next time, this has been Functional Geekery.